Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Sober Speak. Glad you're here. Uh, at Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of men and women sharing their story centered around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic. I will be the host of this episode. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. I have my friend Doug here with me today. Uh, and Doug, uh, I have asked him to bring along something that is uh, uh, special for him, and he is going to read from it right now. So say hello, Doug. Hello, and thank you, John. I'm uh, glad to be here, and I also am an alcoholic. So what I'm going to read is uh, from Marion Williamson, and it starts, Our deepest fear is that we are not inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your plain small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in every one of us. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Marion Williamson. Great. Thank you, Doug. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But just in case somebody wants to find that, uh, it's a good, great quote there. Do you, do you know where they would find that? Yes. It, you can Google Marion Williamson. And uh, this is from A Course of Miracles. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Okay. Keep in mind, we welcome all of your comments. And you can contact us in a couple different ways. Uh, you can go to uh, soberspeak.com. Uh, simply click on the Contact Us tab. Or you can email us directly at feedback at soberspeak.com. We not only welcome your feedback, but we highly encourage you. We want this to be a dialogue. And uh, keep in mind, uh, you know, most of you, I know, uh, uh, access us through uh, iTunes or Podbean or something like that. And uh, there's several different ways, but a couple new ways that you can contact us or you can listen to the episodes right now is you can go to TuneIn Radio. Uh, you can go to Google Play. Uh, you can also uh, contact. You can also listen to the episodes, episodes through uh, going up to your Alexa and say, "Hey Alexa, play Sober Speak Contact." Uh, excuse me, play Sober Speak Podcast. So, um, just several ways to, to listen to us. So, so, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We don't wish to engage in any controversy. We neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want, leave the rest at the curb. All right, so now let's talk about Doug. All right, so Doug, um, my... I, I, I told you this right before the uh, 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 for the podcast began, and that is I usually don't have a uh, working 
title, so to speak, for individuals as they come over. But today, I kind of thought I may, depending on how this turns out, we could change the title of it at any time, but I may go with California Dreamin', right? I like it. All right. So let's just stick with that. Doug Doug S., California Dreamin'. And for those of you out there listening, the reason I keep um, going with that for a workshop or for or the reason I'm going with that as a working title is because Doug is from California. Uh, he is going back. He lives here in Texas with us right now, and he will be going back to, to uh, California very soon. So, and I got to tell you real quick, Doug, I always, whenever I hear you share meetings, I think of that Saturday Night Live skit, The Californians. Have oh, you ever yes. seen that? Oh, yes. We will tell you how to, which road to take. Yeah. No matter what happens, we Driving will tell down. you to not take Sepulveda. <laughs> do not get on the 405, whatever you do. But anyway, you're going back to California <laughs> soon. Yes. and uh, So what prompted that? Are you looking forward to it? I am looking forward to it. What prompted uh, that is I came to Frisco, Texas. It was one of the most pragmatic decisions that I'd ever made in my life. The first time that I think I made a pragmatic decision. I tried to take the, the, the feelings away and I just went with the facts. And the facts was, or, or, or were at the time, and it still is, that this was one of the, the fastest growing areas. Mm. Um, there, uh, so that so you actually knew through research. Research. And you didn't know anybody here. No one. But you just knew this was a fast growing area. I knew it was the fastest growing area and one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, if not the. I also knew that it had uh, was in the top ten highest per household income. I also knew that uh, the school systems here had um, a surplus of money. You'll never hear a school system tell you, your district tell you, hey, we've got enough cash. But there was, uh, um, so I, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that they were going into teaching for the money. I went into teaching for the money. <laughs> I literally, that, so that just shows you about the, 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 my my uh, my perception of what great money is. I thought they're going to pay me fifty two thousand. And by the way, I'm not bragging. <laughs> and just FYI, the 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 per household income in Frisco is one hundred thirty six thousand. When I leave, that's probably going to go up. <laughs> so um, you guys might break the top five now, which uh, you're welcome. <laughs> And um, I believe in I believe in California. It's below forty, and that's uh, that's with all the celebrities as well. Because <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but so this was a really pragmatic decision, and I was going to go into teaching. And side note, I went back to college at forty four years of age in sobriety, and graduated at forty eight. That was one of my do overs. And uh, so I, I have this degree and in business. And um, so I, did you go back specifically to be a teacher? No, no. I went back because anyone who knows about the, the, the steps and, you know, they, they can easily access that is when I did my fourth and fifth step. Uh-huh. One of my biggest fears. Uh, well, my number one resentment was me. And um, I was scared that I resented the fact that I had the opportunity to go to college and I was there for three years 
And apparently I was at a party. Because I had 21 credits and a 1.61 GPA after three years. And then I think they noticed that I was still there. And they said, you need to go ahead and leave. (laughs) And so I did. And um, that was pre-internet. So I could just make up that I had a, a, a degree. And everybody seemed to be fine with it. You know, it's like, we don't need transcripts. He's got a suit on, for God's sakes. And um, so I failed forward. And uh, I kept, kept, I lived that lie. I kept on waiting for a duck. Do you mind? failed forward. I failed forward. And that was uh, the, that's been the momentum of my life. And, but so going back to, well, I was, I was resentful on myself that I had an opportunity to go to college. The first person in my family. And I completely just wasted that time. That also made me... Was this like in your 20s? No. Or? So I, I graduated in uh, 1983. And two weeks after graduating high school, I went away to Southeast Missouri State University, which Playboy had listed as the top party <laughs> college in the U.S. And it wasn't that expensive. So I knew that if I didn't do that well, I could, I wasn't going to really crush the family fortune as it was. And just as a side note, there was no family fortune. <laughs> you know, but you know, my dad made good money, but he, you know, he made it last week. You know, yeah. so uh, we were we were nouveau riche, and uh, which means we're going to valet the car. But my dad's going to look at me and say, "Do I tip?" So that's nouveau riche. <laughs> At least from my perspective. So anyway, so that's why I chose college. If Playboy says it's good, <laughs> right. it ought to be good. Right. And um, so... Um, Southeast Missouri State. Do you know if it's still in the top? Is it still in the top 10? I don't think yeah. so. I don't think so. They do have a, a rehab center <laughs> there, and which they, they, they truly needed. And... Um, <laughs> But so I, yeah, it, it was a great time. It was a great time. And I had a lot of potential. That, 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 that nagging word that people used to throw at me often. You've got potential. <laughs> Potentially to get fired. And, um, but so I went back to college as a do-over. When I, was, when I got sober, it was on my list of fears and resentments. My resentment was against me that, like I said, and being redundant, I didn't finish college. My fear was that I wasn't smart enough and uh, that I would never get a degree. And I always felt less than. And that was another thing that I had in my bag of why I'm not good enough. Yeah. And it just ate at me. And ate at me. And when people would speak of uh, topics, and mind you, I read everything I could get my hands on. And I'm sure I was one of those people, and this has subsided, that I needed to, to prove to you that I wasn't stupid. So I needed to comment on everything. I was an expert in apartheid and, <laughs> and, and you name it. And the thing is, I wasn't an expert on any of it. <laughs> And uh, I was an expert in insecurity and trying to cover that up. And I'm sure I wasn't fooling anyone. So that I went back to college in, uh, in sobriety and um, 
I graduated magnum cum laude with a 3.9. And when I went back, I learned that I didn't have any study skills. Uh, turns out that there's this thing called a syllabus. <laughs> now, I'm, I, I was told that it wasn't something new. Right. And, and I do recall possibly being given one of these syllabi, if you have more than one. Right. Um, kind of like the pre-I and Prius. I wasn't in on the voting of either of those. But um, but so the, I, I literally reached out to people that I knew that did well in school. And I said, what's the secret? And I was crestfallen when they would tell me that I had to do this. They would say crazy stuff like, you need to get flashcards and make up study questions and test yourself. And you have to read the 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 required reading. Yeah. And I'm like, they just issued us Frankenstein to be read in two weeks. <laughs> and it's a really large book. And I said, so what would you do? And they said, I would get reading. I would start reading now. And right. I'd be like, what? <laughs> and so the first two semesters with full disclosure, I was right back where I was. I wasn't, a, turns out through all that years, I did not turn into a road scholar. I was on probation. I got an F and a B. Um, and um, yes. And then the second semester, I got, I think, a D and a C. And then I, ha I got a tutor. And uh, yes. And I had to learn how to study. And I read the books. I, because I learned one thing that helped me. Stop finding a shortcut because you're spending tons of time wasting right. when you could just be reading about right. this guy named Frankenstein. Right. <laughs> there you go. Another thing, you know, that it always I heard you talking about uh, a few of your jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard you talking about those before. And one of the things that really caught my attention to me, it was just funny for whatever reason. And I want you to talk about it a little bit. I, if I remember right, in California, you had a job. I don't know exactly how to phrase this. It was like a... Uh, Do you want me to help you? Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> okay. So in December of 2011, I was in school full time. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this catch-22. You, you, in order to get grants and, and, and scholarships and everything, you need to stay poor. You, you can't make over 18,000. And if you, from 14 to 18 is this kind of abyss where you're just going to lose that. So you have to on paper to stay poor. And um, so I, I had to be, I was training uh, individuals. It was, it was a fitness trainer for, for many years and uh, excelled at that job. And it always did me, served me well because I would do that in, in between uh, gigs or when, when I was at school. And uh, so I worked for myself. However, it was becoming more and more daunting to get clients to be able to fit into the schedule that I needed. And um, so I didn't have a job and my sponsor suggested that I contact someone in the program and Chatsworth is the porno capital of the world <laughs> for those of you who are, who are looking for vacation spots. <laughs> And it is about is 
devoid of uh, any type of <laughs> morals. Well, it's just, you, you don't go, wow, this is Disneyland. You're like, oh, wow, what is that smell? And, and somebody will say, that's fear. That's fear and regret. And what did I just step on? I think that was somebody's dignity. They, they were here earlier. And um, so in, in L.A., 36 miles isn't 36 minutes. It's a really long time. Right. So... I'm explaining to my, and I had a Jeep Wrangler at the time, which got 12 miles per gallon. LA at the time, gas was about 450, would soon be $5. And uh, I'm explaining to him why this is such a bad idea. Because he's telling me that I can get a job working at a warehouse at a place called Fantasy Lingerie. <laughs> Which is connected with the largest uh, distributor of adult toys and film. And we would work together to send out these... Um, fantasy lingerie. Fantasy lingerie. And um, yes, so a lot of people have some fantasies and we were fulfilling them. We were kind of like Make-A-Wish Foundation for people that weren't that sick. But, you know... Sick is a <laughs> relative term. Exactly. So I'm trying to explain to him why this just is not good. You know, and uh, and it paid, I think, you know, the big misconception is you're going to make more money in California. That is not true because everybody's out there. And um, so I think it was $12. It was $12 an hour. Yeah. And I'm telling him I'm not going to do this because it's going to cost me more in gas. He said, I'm going to give you $100. He goes, that'll take care of your gas for the first month. He goes, why don't you just say yes? You've been out of the working world, which I found kind of demeaning and put down to me because you've been living off student loans and Pell Grants and your father for quite some time. And I thought, you know, you're really starting to swing low. And um, I'm in school. And I love the fact that I could tell people I was in school because when you're in school, you're like, I am the solution to the problem. And I'm sober. Why don't you just go ahead and give me some more than it's going to be more than 100. But so I go ahead and I just acquiesce. And he goes, I promise you this will change your life. He said, just suit up and show up and be there early and think of it as being of service. And I said, to who? The people that we're shipping this to? And he said, to Mike, the guy who owns the place, right. go out there. I went out there and I'm not sure if you're familiar with, well, everybody's familiar with this. The, the apple, fried apple turnovers at McDonald's and the little boxes yeah, that yeah, they have. And yeah. I think they're called apple turnover boxes. Yeah. And so apple pies, apple pies yeah. okay? And that was the title to one of the pornos. But anyway, shockingly. And um, that was a big seller. And um, but anyway, so I go ahead and I suck this up and I go into this warehouse. And mind you, I had had jobs prior that paid a lot of money and had and, and my ego was really attached to that i was in public relations and uh, for a huge real estate conglomerate and they paid me a ridiculous amount of money to like show up to meetings at real estate offices and say so remember kids 
It's spring forward this week. <laughs> okay, so that means your open house is going to be a little bit different. Okay. So anyway, I'll be leaving now. And um, I'll be at the Laker game tonight if anybody wants to come by. We've got a suite down there. Anywho. And so that was my job. And one of the things that I was told, not that I would have done it, possibly, um, <laughs> My sponsor said, just shut up about your past. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. He goes, go and be a worker among workers. workers. And he goes, I doubt if you've ever done this. And I'm like, you are really pushing the envelope, okay? A hundred bucks is not that much to be able to say all this to me. So um, I showed up the next day and I prayed to just be a worker among workers. It took me... An hour to get there, and I get there, and my job is to put these fun novelty men's underwear <laughs> into these Apple turnover boxes. <laughs> and so I'm given a stack, and the, the place is not like Amazon, where it's like bright lights and all this stuff. <laughs> Wherever you look, there's a picture, like the promotional <laughs> picture of some porno and then uh, the promotional uh, poster of the new pleasure assisted or assistance the pleasure toy that you may want to check out so and I remember one day just just going up to the wall and just grabbing this poster and just ripping it into shreds. And I go, I can't look at this anymore. And then just went right back to my workspace and, and continued po or packing the boxes. So for my first day, I'm standing there. I'm in this dark, dingy, horrendous um, uh, place in Chatsworth. And uh, this, uh, I have a box to the left of me. I've given my thousand, I remember it clearly, a thousand little turnover boxes. And um, I proceed to fold its three ways. One, two, three. And these were things, they were had like the elephant face and the trunk was used for whatever. And then uh, there would be like a chain and a lock. And there, there was a whistle attached to some. And so you would fold it up and you, you push the... You, oh, you, whistle. Right. <laughs> Blow if you need help. And um, safety first. And um, so there was... Uh, you had that. So that was my... That was how I spent my first day. And But what was great is at 7.40 a.m., I get a call from my sponsor. And he said, I want to say I'm proud of you. I love you. Don't overthink it. <laughs> and I held to that that day. And my finger, the cuticles of my, both of my hands were bleeding um, because of the pushing in those boxes. And then you'd push them in and then you put it into the box to the right. And then you would put 36 boxes into there and then you would stuff it with paper. And that was my job. And it was good because I didn't have to think, but then my mind in the committee in my head was going, you are a loser. Where is your dream job? And let me tell you, that job did change my life. That job enabled me to feel as though I was contributing. 
my dad did not have to pay my rent in February. Yeah. Notice I didn't say January because uh, I wanted to get that little cushion. <laughs> but um, within three weeks, I was asked to be the manager of that, that warehouse, which, in, which meant that I had to do some... Uh, uh, where I had to take charge and fire a couple of people that had worked there for 22 years and, and you know, the dynamics of that. But the thing is, I was able to do a job, do it with respect to the owner. And I would share with people, I'm like, look, it's after the first couple of days, you forget what you're doing. All we're doing is we're putting items that people have ordered and we put in a box and we're going to send them to them. And we want to get, if they've ordered, ordered the nurse's outfit, make sure that she gets the nurse's outfit instead of the French maid because there's a difference. Okay. Right. I guess. So um, that, and I will, I, will, I will state that that job cost me no exaggeration, $500 in gas a month mm. because by June of that year, gas had, uh, was over $5. Yeah. This is now 2012. Okay. So I would get up at uh, 5.30 a.m. I would study and at 6.15, I would be out the door, 6.30 at Starbucks at 640 um, at 7:15 I would be pulling to the, the the driveway and be ready for work at 7:30 and I loved it it was physical labor and as soon as, and it would take me an hour and a half to get home and as soon as I got home I would start studying and I would literally run to the bed uh, because it would be 11:30 and I knew I had to get X amount of sleep but I stayed sober it made me happy. I eventually bought a new car that paid for itself in the gas savings. And um, I had some self-esteem. Yeah. And it yeah. didn't define who I was. Right. Okay, so let's... Let, okay, so let me... I, Sorry I, if that I, went too long. No, no, no. You didn't get too long <laughs> at all. I'm thinking, for me, I got off track. What I wanted to do at the beginning, but we started talking about California, and I asked you about your job and stuff. I wanted to talk about that reading that you actually... Uh, it obviously it, it moves you. I could tell it is powerful for you. So talk about that reading a little bit when you came across it, why it means a lot to you. And also, I just like people to identify on the podcast. You've been sober since how long now? My sobriety date is uh, March 14th, 2000. 13. Okay. We'll go back and finish up that timeline in a second. Right. But why don't you talk about Marianne Williamson and where you came across that? And... Well, prior, prior to getting sober, I was, uh, I devoured every self-help book that I could find. And because I knew something was broken and I needed, I wanted to be whole. And uh, I also knew that um, I had some issues with uh, alcohol and I read this, I think it was the early 90s, um, early 90s or, or maybe 92, 93. And when I read it, it 
it just spoke to my heart. And I've often heard what doesn't come from the heart won't reach the heart. And this not only reached my heart, it grabbed it. Hmm. And um, did you ever take the course? Isn't that is from a course of miracles? Her yes. Class. No. Isn't there a class or something? Probably, but it. Yeah. I was just, just right. I don't, I'm not sure. It probably had a syllabus. Okay. And I didn't, right, didn't right. know when it started. <laughs> I was hung over. Like, you know, just give me the condensed version. And uh, so just give me the miracle. I don't need a course. <laughs> I'll be over here. Here's the address. Just drop it off. And we don't even have to meet. And um, so it basically, it almost mocked me. Because it talks about there's something in Help us. Help me with that. What do, you, what do you mean mock it me? It mocked me because I was well-liked when I would go out with friends and in college. People um, gravitated to me at parties. Uh, you, have a, you obviously have a sense of humor. You have a good personality. Uh, and for those of you who can't see you on the podcast, you are a handsome fellow, Mr. Doug, I should say. My parents, thank you for that. I did not have anything to do with that, but thank you. Um, so it mocked me because people would often tell me about the good that they saw in me. And I knew that by the reaction of people, it wasn't that I sat sought out to be the fun guy. It just came natural to me. And I loved the response that it got. And I would also see people being the fun drunk guy. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't him. I was... Um, um, it mocked me because I wanted to be able to see who other people saw. And when I looked in the mirror, I did not see that. I saw failure. I saw insecurity. I I saw the darkness. And when it talks about it's not our darkness that most frightens us, it's our light. And I knew that to be true. And it mocked me because it's like, you know, it's the light in you that is powerful. Why won't you tap into that? And my answer back was because I am going to destroy it. It's, I have the analogy or the, uh, uh, of there's possibly a bunch of talent in, in a barrel, and we're going to put it in the back of a truck. But this truck has ball tires. The radiator has tape on it. The battery's no good. The, the engine's getting ready to blow. And that talent is never going to make it to its destination because the carrier of this talent is going to break down along the way. Ah. And I always knew that I would break down along the way because people didn't know what was going on at home. And what was going on at home is I would, I could make a good exit 80% of the time. And people say, where are you going? I'd be like, I, I, I'm going, bye. You know, and that, that always meant that I had more alcohol at um, my my home and that there would be um, I could re- relive the night and I could think about how it went right or how it went wrong and um, so it mocked me in that way I wanted to see what other people saw in me and I thought it was a horrible curse of a life that people 
really liked this guy and I hated him. And I went to bed with myself every night and I woke up every morning with myself. And before I went to any of these parties, I had to say, suck it up, turn it on, give them what they want, and then get out. So how did the steps help with that process? And and just and I also want to cover this. So so your sobriety dates in 2013. Does it does that mean you went in and out at particular times? No, and it's full disclosure. It's uh, my last drink was over 10 years ago. Yeah. And then in, in keeping with the tradition of alcohol, yeah. I, I want to keep it to to that. However, there is. Uh, uh, we all have heard of the term, or some of us, marijuana maintenance. Right. And I had a relapsed on a marijuana. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And um, and it's kind of hard to say you're sober when you are saying, I am so high. <laughs> I am really high when I'm sober. I'll be speaking later at a, at a, at a meeting. Uh, I need some eye drops and a new shirt and some cologne, but I'm, I'm there. And that's exactly the delusion that I was in. Yeah, I remember. I'm like, that. I am so going up to Malibu because those pretty people need some help. And um, anyway, so that's... A new uh, shirt and the same cologne and some visine. Oh, like and a that. new shirt. Right. And I'm smoking on the way there. Right. Because I had a message to carry. And... Um, <laughs> Yes, and I did. Um, so, so, the steps. so you're going through that kind of self-loathing, uh, if you will, yes. inside, right? Right. And then you get to Alcoholics Anonymous, you start working through the steps. Was there any particular point along the way that that through working the steps or going to a meeting or something that, that something clicked into you? And, you, and, and number one, d- did you realize it was that bad of self-loathing? And, and then what turned the corner on that? Or, or is it still a work in progress? It is still a work in progress. However, it's it's been an ebb and flow. Yeah. It's been an ebb and flow. My first year in the program was probably one of the happiest years of my life. When I woke up that first day, um, that marked 365 days without alcohol. Mm-hmm. It was like a kid at four years old waking up and knowing that Santa Claus had been to the house and magic had happened. Right. And that's how I felt. Magic has happened. And this was in California. This was in California, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, uh, if you ever want to meet celebrities, just swing by an AA meeting. But um, (laughs) it has incredible, incredible sobriety. And people embrace, really embrace sobriety. So uh, people aren't ashamed of it. But how this self-loathing... You know, right before I got sober, I had some money. I took all that money and I bought a boat. And I thought, this boat is going to fix me. Within two weeks of having that boat, I knew that it wasn't going to fix me. And I knew that I needed help. And I remember just praying and telling myself it was right before Thanksgiving, and I said, you've got three days. After that, you're done. And I just prayed to have the courage and the strength, and I knew that I couldn't do it on my own, but I wanted to be able to ask for help. And that Sunday marked the, the third day, and my last drink was at 8, 10 a.m. in the morning. I happened to be up all night, and... Um, 
you know, people talk about their bottoms or where, you know, I, I wasn't under a bridge. I wasn't, um, you know, I was in a 35 foot boat in front of Ritz Carlton. And the feeling was about as low as somebody can get. The feeling was, I can't quit. The feeling is, I can't stop. I'm out of control. Hmm. And I have this boat, I'm going to lose it. Hmm. I have this life, and I'm going to lose it. And why is it, once again, I just want to die? Hmm. And you would think, with a boat and a bunch of friends. Hmm. And I remember about a month prior, I asked one of my friends, I said, when am I going to get my intervention? And he said, I don't think it's going to happen. And I go, why? <laughs> well, you mean you were like thinking... I'm narcissistic like enough there. to... Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I would like an intervention. Right, and with a camera crew to show. Oh, I, I, it's, it's all about me? <laughs> Except I like to hear about the positive parts as opposed to, Doug, you're so great. We would think, you know, I don't want to hear how I've hurt you. You know, so, And possibly I'd have time to write your own letter. I, I, I could write something for you. But yeah, I don't want it catered. And... Um, uh, yes, in a lot of quivering of the voice, but um, <laughs> so my friend said, "I don't my, think my it's friend he happen. goes," and I said, "Why?" And he goes, "Because nobody cares," <laughs> and he wasn't trying to be a right. jerk. Right. It was just true. <laughs> I I had a boat. I had the, the the charm or wit to get us into nightclubs. I worked at a gym, you know, and it's uh, or had the PR job where there's an expense account, and uh, yeah, nobody wanted me to stop drinking. There there was quite the Upheaval of are you sure about this? This isn't working for us. And uh, I recall somebody had the solution of if it's about money, you can take our Costco card and you can go buy booze there because it comes in really large bottles. And we've got you. It's almost Christmas. And I thought, and I remember looking at them. I said, "You all like me?" And they go, "Yeah." And I said. I'm about to die. <laughs> Pick. And they look like they were questioning. <laughs> is, is it now? Give me something to think yeah. about it. So, and do you know what? And that's what us alcoholics do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to die if I don't quit? Okay, well, let me think about that. I'm going to get back with you on it. <laughs> right. That's what we do daily. Right. You know, so to, to get to your what, what helped me is when I sat down with my sponsor and he in the most loving way um, went over with me. I read my fifth step to him and I shared my most deepest secrets and my, my insecurities and uh, the resentments that I had the against the world. And, um, and my mother, uh, when I was 32 years old, she committed suicide. And that was a, a place or that took everything and just made it dark. And the drinking turn took on a new hue that was just dark because not going into the whole story, it was just the she left a rather scathing letter and um, that, that stuck with me. And um, I felt that I contributed. And I thought, well, here's this funny guy that um, 
seems to bring a lot of happiness to a lot of people, but maybe I said something to my mother that made her kill herself. And six weeks after my mother committed suicide, I was already uh, queued up or um, signed up to start working on this project um, where I was going to do a one-man show in uh, December. And I went ahead and I did that show, and it was about how comedy comes from pain. And I talked about how I dealt with my mother's suicide and about a road trip that my father and I went on. And uh, there was a lot of laughter, and there was... Uh, I, I remember the, the director telling me, he said, you can't cry. The audience can weep, but we have to know that you're okay because this is so raw. We have to need... You need to be more healed than what you are. And um, so I was able to put some plastic tarp around my heart and do this, get a standing ovation. It was 1997, December 13th. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm done. I don't ever want to be on stage again. And I was mad at my mother and thought, you know what, you don't get, you don't get to propel my career. You don't get to be the, the subject of, of this show. How dare you? And I just drove into a bottle and I wasn't going to come out. And anything else that was on the menu, I was going to take two or three or four of those. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to die. And the steps when I was asked for the resentment and I said, my mother killing herself and you know, well, what was, where were you at fault? And my answer was, I wasn't sensitive enough. I, um, when I knew that she had a severe mental problem that was being untreated throughout her, my entire life, that in the last, you know, that, that I would still snap at her or, or I, I didn't have patience at times. And, um, and I said, I, that's my fault. And he said, no. He said, your, 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 your fault is you're holding on to it. And you, you believe that, that you created this, that, that you made her take her life. He said, that, that's not fair to you. And he said, and that's not fair to her because that's a lie that you're telling yourself. And he said, you can let go of that. He said, that's, that's where you're at fault. And when I was given permission to let go of that, mm -hmm. when I was given permission to let go of the fact that I didn't finish college, when he told me, he said, if you want a degree, you can get one. It just depends if you want one. And he said, if you're trying to ask yourself if you're smart enough, he goes, I think you'll be fine. And I was able to look at the mess, what I thought was the mess of my life, and able to sweep it up a little bit. And we did this on my boat. And I remember being so at peace that evening. And he spent five hours with me. This is a man who has a law firm. He is on the board of several um, organizations. He has three sons. He sponsors numerous guys. And he never said, hurry up. And at one time he said, I'm going to have to go. 
pick up my son. He said, as soon as I'm done, we can reconvene. I said, we're good. And it didn't stop the steps that night. I had to keep on working them and working them. I still continue to work. Last night at 1 a.m., I was writing down another fourth step because I'm getting ready to leave town and I want to make sure that I leave with a clean slate, that I'm not taking resentments with me because wherever I go, I am always there. And no matter how fast I drive, no matter how, you know, it's a really big room, right? I'm booking, booking the suite. Yeah, I open up the big suite and there I am. I'm like, hey, it's me and all of your resentments. We're here. And buddy, we haven't forgotten. And there's some new ones. And um, so there is an ebb and flow of uh, the days on when I feel wonderful. And there are days that I can feel um, like I failed. And going back to what we started with, I did enough research to know that the school districts here were the school districts where I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. And I achieved that goal. I was hired to teach ninth grade, not my choice, but um, I wanted to teach junior, senior. However, that's how it worked out. And I think there was a lesson that I needed to learn. And without going through the scary details, um, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that wasn't a job for me. And, but I didn't have to use my own money for school supplies or anything. We, we had a budget that, you know, we didn't even really have a budget. They were just, what, what do you need? We, we'll provide all that. So I'm in the school district and I'm doing something that I thought that I would like. But it turns out that I chose that career because I was just enveloped in fear. And I was scared that I would never make it in California. I was in the entertainment industry. We were going through a hiatus, which means everyone's on vacation. <laughs> if you're rich, you know, where, what are you doing, Doug? Hopefully pay rent, you know? And they're like, we're going to Caracas, you know, or Caicos, or, you know, we're gonna be on a movie. We're only making 12 mil because it's small. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm going to be driving for Lyft. And, um, and so I sold my boat and I moved here and I thought I'm doing the right thing. And the thing is, I don't look at it as failure. I look at it as I learned an extremely wonderful lesson of um, making decisions out of fear. So what do you mean by making that, that decision out of fear? Help me with that. I was fearful when I when I said that I went into this to teaching for for the money and you never hear people say that I thought here's going to be a steady income. I'm going to get a paycheck. I'm also going to this real estate market is hot, so I'm going to uh, invest in real estate. I'm also going to be a pillar of society. So my ego is very much involved. People are going to look at me and think, "Wow, what a great guy. You're a teacher. And I would just pause as people would. In my mind, I would be at a, a, a dinner with, uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and, and all the politicians. And it would get to me. And, of course, I'd have been funny and witty all evening. And um, without trying too hard. And I, I would pause and engage and 
try to hang on to their story and think, God, I could tell it better. And um, but then when it got to me, I would say, No, I'm an English teacher. Pause. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. No, no. I know I could be much more, but this is what I'm doing <laughs> for the cause. Yes, you're all welcome. And uh, it turns out I'm not that guy. <laughs> so on the 18th, thank God I'm still a dues-paying member of the Screen Actors Guild. But you, so so let me ask you this. So and I've been through situations like that before right. in my life, to where you know you kind of hit a a fork in the road, so to right. speak, right? And so. When you made that decision, though, and I think a lot of people go through this, right? There's there's gray area, right? It's right. not a bad or a good decision. It's just a decision. What was there something inside you though that 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 moved you that way, or or did you feel even uncomfortable while you were doing it? That's kind of what I'm wondering. Were you do do you think you got to the true self at that time, or? And, and and then you made a decision. It was a good decision, and you learned some lessons for it. Or was there something inside of you, kind of saying, eh, "I'm not sure about this. I'm just wondering." Leading up to the decision, or yes. once I was teaching, uh, leading up to the decision. Leading up to the decision, I had subbed a couple days, and I recall, <laughs> and it's always great to make a decision off a couple days. Um, I'm teaching at this private school. That is completely underpopulated. Yeah. It's right by the beach. <laughs> it starts at nine-ish. And I think it was a nine-ish yeah. thing. It's kind of like, well, I guess we'll start now. And um, I that may not be the truth. Um, but so it was just it started at nine and it ended at 2:30. And I remember at lunch getting in my car and and just driving a block and standing there and looking at the ocean. And I'm like, I'm going to be off work in two hours. And um, so I had the whole rest of my day and I'm like, this is the gig. This is the gig. But I thought, we'll go to Texas because it's uh, it's cheaper and, and this and that and, and it's going to make sense. But in and I sold that to, to myself and I sold it to other people. Mm-hmm. People would say, are you sure? And I go, oh, yes. Yes, it's right. It's on my spreadsheet right here. Why? It makes sense. <laughs> right. And they'd be like, it sounds like a crazy idea. And um, but I did it. And, yeah. and it's yeah. uh, sometimes you just got to go. It, it honestly made sense. It was going to take yeah. away some of my $70,000 of debt mm-hmm. of, uh, because I was going to be teaching at a, a Title I school, and, uh, which means uh, 50% of the, the kids are on um, get free lunch. So then that is going to adjust your um, debt. And um, also $52,000 in a city that you know, is somewhat affordable and then being able to, you know, get loans because I'm a teacher and this and all this stuff. It made sense. And I thought if I buy some outside stuff, it's going to make me happy. Right. And there it was, once again, I was looking for something outside to fill me up. Right. And I also wanted to look good for those at that dinner party that I mentioned. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
All right, so we're we're reaching the uh, the end of our time. Believe it or not, this we've been here for quite a while. I don't know if you know, we've been here for uh, fifty two minutes already. Um, anything else you want to? You know, like I said, you're you're going to California. I can tell you that we. Uh, or I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, I think most people in the group, uh, including myself, will, will miss you. Uh, and uh, when are you heading back? Um, well, first of all, thank you for that. And I will miss um, the majority of you. And um, I'm leaving on June 18th. Okay. And the one thing that I will say is what has made this two and a half years good Mm-hmm. is I had a solid AA group. Mm-hmm. I've been in paradise before in San Diego at Shelter Island, had my boat at a four-star resort in sobriety, and I just couldn't connect at the meetings. Mm-hmm. And I left, and I went back to, to, to L.A. Here, the meetings have been such a part of my life. I was here for four days, and I started, and that's when I went to my first meeting here. And as you know, I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I started chairing meetings and, and um, I, I, I surrounded myself. I got into the middle of the group. And um, that's, that has allowed me to be a sober gentleman. Have I always come across as a sober gentleman? No, I fail on a daily basis. But I do have a reprieve. And I haven't had to drink over any of these decisions that I've made in the, you know, since uh, for a very long time. And I haven't had to reach out for other substances. Mm-hmm. I've just gone through two knee, knee, knee replacements. Oh, yeah. And right. um, since one on March 8th, one on uh, April 18th. And as we've been sitting here for the last uh 52 minutes, I keep on thinking, wow, my knees are singing. <laughs> <They're> singing. <laughs> because that's what they ask me in physical therapy. Are they singing or are they yelling? I'm like, it's kind of like, it's a shrill, <laughs> untalented person that is just, you don't know if it's yelling or not. It's kind of like a hard rock band and you just want them to stop. That's what's going on with the knees. But I will miss all of you and I will miss the, the friendliness of Texas. Um, Really, going into a store and having people ask you how you're doing, and you're like, you're actually looking for an answer. <laughs> Do I know you? And I'll stop, and I it's, it's a really double-edged sword, because I will tell them how I'm doing. <laughs> and then they're like, dude, I got to go. And I'm like, I'm not done. I am not done. <laughs> My knees. <laughs> but I can tell you, at Target, at Kroger, at wherever I go, people are like, your knees, you're doing better. I'm like, right? <laughs> well, that's great, Doug. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been great having you here. All right, so I'm going to read a little bit of feedback here right at the end. Uh, we got some people uh, right into the show. It says, uh, uh, Lee said... Uh, uh, hey, I listened to three of them today, the, the, uh, the Sober Speaks. Uh, loved it so much. I'm glad you started this. Clay D's story had me crying in the car. Have a good one. Thanks for writing in with that, Lee. Uh, and then I had somebody here, of actually Clay. Uh, he's actually out in Hawaii right now, and he wrote in. He said, Happy Memorial Day 
Asswipe. Thank you so much, Clay. I appreciate oh, that's it. Sweet. Yeah, that is sweet, isn't it? Thank you for your tireless efforts at helping uh, me and others. Uh, I love you and your family. Aloha with little uh, flowers on there. Thank you, Mr. Clay. And uh, so once again, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, uh, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Uh, contact us at feedback at soberspeak.com. We want to make this a dialogue. You can share your experience strength and hope uh, and or provide comments or suggestions is there anybody you would like to have us uh, uh, you know I thought about throwing this out there and I'm gonna uh, at, at my um, I'm kind of a cautionary I guess about doing this but if you know of anybody that you would think would be good on this uh, on Sober Speak, and you can provide me like an electronic version of uh, any sort of talk they do. I have ways of doing this in a remote fashion, especially if they are in the Dallas area. Uh, it'd be great. I could just have them over to the uh, the Sober Speak Studios. You see the Sober Speak Studios here, Doug? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a, it's a. Well, I mean, serious. It is a well. It's beautiful kind of a, home. Well, thank you. It's a combination. Of, Let's see. About the dear address. We, yeah. <laughs> Come on by. Let's see what happens. You want to see the stuff they have here. <laughs> but this is the the studio is actually a, kind of a convert. It's a table with a cloth on it. A couple PCs hook up to it, and then I have some yoga stuff that I have back over there in the corner, and it's also a guest bedroom. And we watch television in here sometimes, so it's a little bit of combo of everything. But anyway, this room in itself would rent for four grand. <laughs> In L.A. <laughs> I guess you're right, in L.A. So uh, thank you for all of your support out there. Uh, we just got up to like uh, 2,000 uh, downloads on this. Uh, we have like, uh, believe it or not, I'm talking to Doug right now. I, saw, I was looking at it today. There's been 18 different countries that listen to this. And there's only like uh, 10 of the states in the United States that I've not listened to this yet. It's kind of weird how oh, wow. these things get traction. I had no idea that this many people were listening to it. So, uh, But anyway, thank you all out there for uh, your support in whatever form it comes, whether it's uh, sharing the podcast with your friends or just listening in as you are able. Uh, I'm going to read once again from page 164 of the big book to close us out here. On page 164, it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows, much like uh, my friend Doug was talking about here today. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Doug, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Doug, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us today. Thank you for having me.